Baptist history, the early 4th century Diocletian persecution of Christians. Need to. Matthew 16 and verse 18, I have it enfolded here. And we've moved over to the four, or moved on rather, to the 4th century. When we have 4th century Christianity, Baptist history. Matthew 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18, the Bible says, And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, who's the rock here? The Lord Jesus Christ, of course. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Heavenly Father, we give thee thanks once again, Lord, for gathering us, all, uh, gathering us here uh, all safely, Lord. And we give thee thanks, Lord, for thy word. We give thee thanks, Lord, for thy church, Lord, for which thou didst bleed and die for, Lord, and purchase with thine own blood. Lord, we give thanks, Lord, for the local church here, the Baptist church here, Grace Missionary Baptist Church, Lord. It's the people right here. And we are thankful for it, Lord. I ask, Lord, for wisdom on high uh, to teach tonight, Lord. In Jesus' precious and wonderful and holy name I pray, amen. Tonight I'm not doing the PowerPoint because I know Brad's working on something here to come out. And that was a little bit looking down. I like to actually look. <laughs> so, praise the Lord for that. Oh, by the way, before we move on, you, do you know like like what level it was to put underneath here? Because so you know, I, I you know I know that uh, Brad's on it. Appreciate it. All right. So as we move on, some definitions that I would like to like uh, to define for you, or like you to define first before I define them for you. There's a few definitions here, and one of them is Kiliism. Kiliism. Any of the men can answer that? Jay? No, I'm not expecting you to answer, but if you can, it would be really impressive. Andrew, it's okay. Kiliism, basically it's a belief in the 1,000 year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so they believed in that in this century. This is not something new to us. It's something, uh, in fact, it predated the all-millennial view. Catechumen. Now, I have said this. Catechumen, yep. No. Catechumen is someone who's made a profession of faith and is awaiting baptism. Baptismal candidate, I believe. Um, well, they may call it that, but it's before then. This is well before then, so actually it has more of an orthodox. It is orthodox, but not like the orthodox of today, where they would refer to them as some formal name. This is basically a believer's baptism. Someone who's waiting. It's a baptismal candidate. Lapsy or lapsed? Or traditor? Okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, I should have it a bit. Catechumen, okay, well, Kiliasm is C-H-I-L-I-A-S-M, yep, that makes sense, and you can write it down, I, I kind of take it for granted that, and catechumen is like uh, catechism, so C-A-T-C-A-T, E-C-H-U-M-E-N, and that is someone who's made a profession of faith and is awaiting baptism, and uh, lapsed really, or lapsy, is a backslidden Christian. And Catholic, well, you should know this one. 
And we're not talking about Roman Catholic, although we can. Universal. Universal, yeah. Or generally accepted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Catholic. And I don't need to spell that one. You should know that. All right, moving forward. This century saw the first major turning point in the history of Christendom. Christendom. The umbrella, right? Christendom includes, by the way, in today's terms, everything that names the name of Christ. That's Christendom. It was a century which began with terrible persecutions and ended with imperial favor being extended to Christianity. At the dawn of the 4th century, the churches of Christ had not only survived grievous torture and mayhem, but it succeeded in dumbfounding the pagan legions of Rome. The martyrs of Christ's churches had won the admiration, and in many cases, the souls of those that observed their steadfastness in the face of the demonic debauchery of pagan Rome. The body of Christians was by no means perfect, and the local churches had decisions to make concerning the lapsed, backslidden. So as we have seen, the lapsed, and the traditores, or the traditores, traitors, turned their backs on God while others were faithful unto death. What to do about these lapsed church members, backslidden, and more importantly, what to do about the preachers who turned traditor, continue to draw lines and break the invisible unity of the so-called universal church. The gospel had spread to the east as far as India and into the Middle East. It was in Africa and Europe and the British Isles as well. So the gospel had spread. The churches were fairly united in belief concerning the Trinity, deity of Christ, salvation by grace through faith alone, and baptism for, be for believers only. The universal beliefs were known as Catholic, not to be confused with Roman Catholic, you have to understand. And this Catholic group of churches was Baptist in its practices. Now here are some timelines of the 4th century, the 4th century timeline. 303 AD, the last general persecution of pagan Rome. 305 AD, it was the Council of Elvira or Grenada. 311 AD, we have the separation of the Donatists from the apostate church or the Donatists. You can write these down. If you want me to go slower, I can. 313, we have the end of the persecution by pagan Rome. And 314, we have the Council of Arles about the, Dar uh, about the Donatists. Now, forgive me for the pronunciation sometimes with these. I do have a difficult time. And 319, Arius begins to publish his heresy. Now, Luke, I know you know this one, but I'm going to present this to the gentleman. Arius, what heresy was he known for? And it's okay if you don't know. I'm going to challenge you because you will know after. Basically, he taught, in a nutshell, there's more to it than that. Um, he denied, uh, if you will, really, the deity of Christ. So he, he believed that Jesus was a created being. Um, you could say who became God or took on divine qualities, if you will. So who are the modern-day Aryans today? JWs, Kingdom Hall, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses, there's others too, Iglesia Christo, 
right? There's a, there's a number of groups. What was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're weird. They're a weird one. They're a weird bunch. They have a lot in common in many ways with the with the JWs, in that sense. Um, Unitarians. So Arius begins to publish his heresy. Emperor Constantine in 324 defeats Licinius and declares himself Christian. Was he a Christian? No. Got baptized his deathbed. 325 AD, we have the first general council held in Nicaea. And in that council, Arius was condemned. The 19th, then we have also the Nicene Creed. 326, Athanasius, bishop, became bishop of Alexandria. 335, we have the Council of Tyre. We also have Athanasius banished to Treves. In 336, we have the death of Arius. 337 was the death of Constantine. 338, we have Athanasius restored to the see. That's ecclesiastical jurisdiction, Holy See, you know, the Roman Catholic Church. S-E-E. 341 A.D., the second banishment of Athanasius. 343, we have the persecution in Persia. And 347, we have defeat and banishment of the Donatists. And we'll be touching on them, not tonight, but in the coming weeks. And 348, we have Ulphilus, or Euphilus, bishop of the Goths. 349, we have second return of St. Athanasius, quote-unquote. 356, we have the third exile of Athanasius. Say in 356, we also have the death of Antony the Hermit. And I'm not going to describe all these. You can look them up. 360, we have the Council of Laodicea. And 361, Julian became emperor and paganism restored. It was never removed, but you understand. It was Christianized. And 362, the Donatus recalled. Same year, Athanasius restored, but again banished. Same year, attempt to re there was an attempt to rebuild the Temple of Jerusalem. Nothing new under the sun. In 363, we have the death of Julian. In 370, Basil became bishop of Caesarea in Cappadocia. In 372, Gregor Gregory of Naz Nazianzum. Now, I may be pronouncing that wrong. N-A-Z-I-A-N-Z-U-M was consecrated bishop of Sassima. In 373, we have the death of Athanasius. In 374, Ambrose became bishop of Milan. In 378, or we have Gregory of, of, Gre of Nazianzum goes to Constantinople. Question, or question for you. Constantinople, where is that today? And what's it called? I see a smile on your face. <laughs> you guys know? It's okay. Jay? Istanbul. Constantinople, Istanbul, Turkey. Istanbul. Right? What was that? I was saying Turkey. It's good. It's Istanbul. Which, you know, you can make that connection, right? 381, we have the Second Ecumenical Council condemned. 
Apollinarius, sorry, the second ecumenical, ecumenical council condemned Apollinarius for preaching Kiliasm or Millennialism. Of course, Kiliasm is from the Greek word Kiliasmos, meaning what? Three eighty-five, we have the execution of Priscillian, and three eighty-seven, we have the baptism of Augustine, and we have sedition of at Antioch. And three ninety, we have massacre. We have a massacre at Thessalonica, and repentance of Theodosius. And three ninety-one, we have the destruction of the temple of Serapis. And three ninety-five, we have the death of Theodosius. Same year, Augustine was made bishop of where? Of Hippo, North Africa. 397, we have the death of Ambrose. In the same year, we have Chrysostom, or sorry, Chrysostom became bishop of Constantinople. In 398, we have the Council of Carthage. And in 400, Pelagius, Pelagius teaches at Rome, Pelagianism. And we'll get into that a little bit later. So the persecutions of the 4th century, the persecutions. And we're going to look at the persecutions today. But before we do, let's turn to John 16 and verse 2. And as we go through this, don't think that this cannot come here today in this country. Have any of you here heard of Bill C-367, which is being tabled in the house? Well, it's under the guise of, of uh, well, it's amending basically the hate speech laws. Uh, and it's really to protect it's really, uh, it's basically using any religious texts um, to promote anti-Semitism, if you will. But you know that they want to remove the religious exemption from it. That's basically what they want to do. So you can't use, for instance, the Bible. So say if you're saying something about Muhammad that is true, and you're using the Bible to back it up, that's not an exemption. Think about it. So we're getting closer and closer to where this book here is going to be banned in this country. You know, history's repeating itself. I'm going through some stuff here. So John 16 and verse 2. We're going to read the actually two verses 2 and 3. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think, listen to this, that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because ye have not known the Father nor me. Absolutely. Absolutely. So at the turn of the century, Diocletian, Diocletian was the emperor of Rome. He ruled from 284 to 305 AD. Diocletian associated himself with three co-regions, Chlorus, Maximian, and Galerius. The last 40 years of the 3rd century AD and the first years of the 4th were marked by times of relative peace toward the churches. Now Diocletian's edicts, his edicts stirred up, stirred up pagan priests. Diocletian issued the cruelest ever, listen to this, series of edicts beginning on February the 24th of 303. These edicts called for Christian buildings to be pulled down, Bibles and Christian writings to be burned, 
and all rights of Christians to be forfeited. You're starting to see a process of maybe something like this happening even in this country. Now, a total of five edicts were issued, the first three by Diocletian, and the fourth by Maximian, and the fifth by Galerius, each one progr progressively worse. In addition to these edicts, cruel tortures were devised to force Christians to renounce their faith. Pastors especially were, object, were the object of hostilities. Mm -hmm. Now, the fourth century commenced with the outward peace to the church, rather. But the pagan priests wrought so effectually on the fears of Diocletian as to obtain from him in 303 an edict to pull down the sanctuaries of Christians, to burn their books and writings, and to take from them all their civil rights and privileges, to render them incapable of the honors of or civil promotion. Other orders were issued of a more sanguinary character, or sanguinary character. The magistrates employed all kinds of tortures, and the most insupportable punishments were invented to, to, rather, to force Christians to apostatize. And the ministers of religion were in particular the object of the emperor's aversion. The severity and indecent measures adopted with their continuance for two years were likely to have proved fatal to the Christian interest. That's Orchard, pages 37 and 38. He goes on to say, In 303, Diocletian, the emperor, after repeated importunities from the pagan priests and others, were alarmed at the increase of Christians and the dangers attending their ancient superstition, issued an edict requiring the scriptures to be given up to his officers. A fire breaking out in the palace was charged upon Christians. You see, this, Satan uses the same tactics. I mean, with the Jews, with Kristallnacht, it's always got to be something's going to burn down, and then you blame the Christians or the Jews, which excited the emperor to severe measures. All bishops were now imprisoned. The third edict encouraged tortures, and every diabolical means were used in order to bring Christians over to sacrifice to the gods. Small g. Afflictions disgracefully sinful were inflicted, which could not decently be explained. Africa is said by Eusebius to have produced vast numbers of martyrs. The diligence and zeal of the Roman magistrates in executing these edicts had like, had like to have proved fatal to the Christian interests. Now Diocletian called himself the Lord and Master of the world. He claimed divine honors as the vicar of Jupiter, the chief instigator of this persecution was really, really Diocletian's co-regent and son-in-law, Galerius, a cruel and fanatical heathen. Persecutions were most severe in the East, where Galerius held sway. Christians were tortured, torn to pieces, books were burned. The fifth edict in 308 AD was virtually a mark, uh, listen to this, a mark of the beast. No one could buy anything first without first offering a sacrifice. There's nothing new under the sun, gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen. Christians had two choices, apostasy or starvation. All historians agree this was the cruelest of the Roman persecutions. Even children were killed. 
As in the past, there were also many who fell away, renouncing the Lord. I wonder how many are going to renounce the Lord if it comes our way. It can. It can. You wonder how many will just, you know what, renounce the Lord just so they could have some form of creature comforts. You never know. Now this is from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's under the chapter, the 10th persecution under Diocletian. The 10th persecution under Diocletian, A.D. 303. Under the Roman emperors, commonly called the Era of the Martyrs, was occasioned partly by the increasing number and luxury of the Christians and the hatred of Galerius, the adopted son of Diocletian, who, being stimulated by his mother, a bigoted pagan, never ceased persuading the emperor to enter upon the persecution until he had accomplished his purpose. The fatal day fixed upon to commence the bloody work was the 23rd of February, 303 AD. That, day, that being the day in which the Terminalia were celebrated and on which, as the cruel pagans boasted, they hoped to put a termination to Christianity. Did they succeed? No. On the appointed day, the persecution began in, in, in Nicomedia, on the morning of which the perfect, the, sorry, the prefect of that city repaired with a great number of officers and assistants to the church of the Christians, where having forced open the doors, they ceased upon all the sacred books and committed them to the flames. The whole of the transaction was in the presence of Diocletian and Galerius, who, not contented with the burning, with, with the burn, with burning the books rather, had the church leveled to the ground. This was followed by a severe edict commanding the destruction of all other Christian churches and books, and an order soon succeeded to render Christians of all denomination outlaws. The publication of this edict occasioned an immediate martyrdom for a bold Christian not only tore it down from the place to which it was affixed, but execrated the name of the emperor for his injustice. A provocation like this was sufficient to call down pagan vengeance upon his head. He was accordingly seized, severely tortured, and then burned alive. All the Christians were apprehended and imprisoned and Galerius privately ordered the imperial palace to be set on fire, that the Christians might be charged as the incendiaries and a plausible pretense given for carrying on the persecution with the greatest severities. A general sacrifice was commenced, which occasioned various martyrdoms. No distinction was made of age or sex. The name of Christian was so obnoxious to the pagans that all discriminately fell sacrifices to their opinions. I would say the name Christian is still obnoxious to the pagan today. Many houses were set on fire, and whole Christian families perished in the flames, and others had stones fastened about their necks and being tied together were driven into the sea. The persecution became general in all the Roman provinces, but more particularly in the east. And as it lasted ten years, it is impossible to ascertain the numbers martyred or enumerated, or to enumerate the various modes of martyrdom. Racks, scourges, 
swords, daggers, crosses, poison, and famine were made use of in various parts to dispatch the Christians. An invention was exhausted to devise tortures against such as had no crime, but thinking differently from the votaries of superstition. Or votaries. A city of Phrygia, consistently, consisting rather entirely of Christians, was burnt, and all the inhabitants perished in the flames. Tied with slaughter at length, several governors of provinces represented to the imperial court the impropriety of such conduct. Hence, many were respited from execution. But, though they were not put to death, as much as possible was done to render their lives miserable, many of them having their ears cut off, their noses slit, their eyes put out, their limbs rendered useless by dreadful dislocations, and their flesh seared in conspicuous places with red-hot irons. It is necessary now to particularize, he says, the most conspicuous persons who laid down their lives and martyred them in this bloody persecution. Sebastian, a celebrated martyr, was born at Narbonne in Gaul. Where is Gaul? Near France. Absolutely, France. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to get you? To go get out an ancient map. Even the Bible maps. Rose's Bible maps are pretty good. And you'll see. <laughs> I like actually looking at these. Yeah. I know Mrs. Lamore is smiling because she has a ge geography course. <laughs> Bible, do Bible geography. Yeah, it was Bible geography, right? Or is it a general? Well, it's Canadian combined. It's for grade one. Okay. Canadian and Bible together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's for grade one. <laughs> I can understand that. <laughs> I can understand that. All right. Yeah, so Sebastian, after became an officer of the emperor's guard at Rome, he remained a true Christian in the midst of idolatry, unallured by, by the splendors of a court, unattained by evil, or sorry, untainted, Obtained, uh, rather, by evil examples and uncontaminated by the hopes of preferment. I wonder if that's untainted. And there's just a typo there. Refusing to be a pagan, the emperor ordered him to be taken to a field near the city, termed the Campus Martius, and there to be shot to death with arrows, which sentence was executed accordingly. Some pious Christians coming to the place of execution in order to give his body burial perceived signs of life in him and immediately moving him to a place of security, they in a short time effected his recovery and prepared him for a second martyrdom. Wow. For as soon as he was able to go out, he placed himself intentionally in the emperor's way as he was going to the temple and reprehended him for his various cruelties and unreasonable prejudices against Christianity. That's guts. <laughs> that is guts. These people have conviction. As soon as Diocletian had overcome his surprise, his surprise rather, he ordered Sebastian to be seized and carried to a place near the palace and beaten to death and that the Christian should not either use means again to recover or bury his body, he ordered that it should be thrown into the common sewer. 
Nevertheless, a Christian lady named Lucina, or Lucina if you're Italian, found means to remove it from the sewer and bury it in the catacomb, catacombs or repositories of the dead. The Christians about this time upon mature consideration thought it unlawful to bear arms under a heathen emperor. Maximilian, the son of Fab Fabius Victor, was the first beheaded under this regulation. Vetus, a Sicilian of considerable family, was brought up a Christian. When his virtues increased with his years, his constancy supported him under all afflictions, and his faith was superior to the most or uh, to the most dangerous perils. His father Hylas was a pagan, finding that he had been instructed in the principles of Christianity by the nurse who brought, who brought him up used all his endeavors to bring him back to paganism, and at length sacrificed his son to the idols, June the 14th and 303 AD. Victor was a Christian of a good family at Marseille, France. He spent a great part of the night in visiting the afflicted and confirming the weak, which pious work he could not, consistently with his own safety, perform in the daytime, and his fortune he spent in relieving the distresses of poor Christians. He was at length, however, seized by the emperor Maximian, Maximian's degree, decree, rather, who ordered him to be bound and dragged through the streets. During the execution of this order, he was treated with all manner of cruelties and indignities by the enraged populace. Remaining still inflexible, his courage was deemed obstinacy. I like that word, obstinacy, obstinate. I'm now, there's nothing like this, but I remember that time we were a street preacher. Remember down by Queen and John? And that police officer says, why are you so obstinate? Why are you so recalcitrant? <laughs> why are you being so recalcitrant? But Christians ought to be when you're contending for your faith, absolutely. Being, being by order stretched upon the rack, he turned his eyes toward heaven and prayed to God to endue him with patience after which he, went under, he underwent the tortures with most admirable fortitude. After the executioners were, ti were tired with inflicting torments on him, he was conveyed to a dungeon. In his confinement, he converted his jailers named Alexander, Felician, and Longinus, or Longinus. Still preaching. This affair coming to the ears of the emperor, he ordered them immediately to be put to death, and the jailers were accordingly beheaded. Victor was then again put to the rack, unmercifully beaten with batoons, and again sent to prison. Being a third time examined concerning his religion, he persevered in his principles. A small altar was then brought, and he was commanded to offer incense upon it immediately. Fired with indignation at the request, he boldly stepped forward with his foot, with his foot overthrew both altar and idol. This, this so enraged the emperor Maximian, who was present, that he ordered the foot with which he kicked the altar to be immediately cut off. And Victor was thrown into a mill and crushed to pieces with stones. 303 AD. Maximus, governor of Sicilia, or Cilicia, rather, Cilicia, at Tarsus, three Christians were brought before him. Their names were Taracus, an aged man, Probus, and Andronicus. After repeated tortures and exhortations to recant, 
they at length were ordered for execution. Being brought to the amphitheater, several beasts were let loose upon them, but none of the animals, though hungry, would touch them. The keeper then brought out a large bear that had that very day destroyed three men. But this voracious creature and a fierce lioness both refused to touch the prisoners. Finding the design of destroying them by the means of wild beasts ineffectual, Maximus ordered them to be slain by the sword on October the 11th, 303. Now Romanus, a native of Palestine, was deacon of the church of Caesarea at the time of, of the commencement of Diocletian's persecution. Being condemned for his faith at Antioch, he was scourged, put to the rack, his body torn with hooks, his flesh cut with knives, his face scarified or scarified, his teeth beaten from their sockets, and his hair plucked up by the roots. Would you like that? Soon after, he was ordered to be strangled, November the 17th of 303. These were all the persecutions under Diocletian. Susanna, the niece of Caius, bishop of Rome, was pressed by the emperor Diocletian to marry a noble pagan who was nearly related to him. Refusing the honor intended her, she was beheaded by the emperor's order. Dorotheus, the high chamberlain of the household to Diocletian, was a Christian and took great pains to make converts. In his religious labors, he was joined by uh, Gorgonius, another Christian, and one belonging to the palace. They were first tortured, then strangled. Peter, a eunuch belonging to the emperor, was a Christian of singular modesty and humility. He was laid, he was laid on a gridiron and broiled over a slow fire until he expired. Cyprian, known by the title of the magician to distinguish him from Cyprian, Bishop of Carthage, not the same person, was a native of Natioch. He received a liberal education in his youth and particularly applied himself to astrology, after which he traveled for improvement through Greece, Egypt, India, etc. In the course of time, he became acquainted with Justina, a young lady of Antioch, whose birth, beauty, and accomplishments rendered her the admiration of all who knew her. A pagan gentleman applied to Cyprian to promote his suit with the beautiful Justina. This he undertook, but soon himself became converted, burnt his books of astrology and magic, received baptism, and felt animated with a powerful spirit of grace. The conversion of Cyprian had a great effect on the pagan gentleman who paid his addresses to Justina, and he in a short time embraced Christianity. During the persecutions of Diocletian, Cyprian and Justina were seized upon as Christians. The former was torn with, print, with pincers and the latter chastised, and after suffering other torments, were both, both were beheaded. <coughs> Eulalia, a Spanish lady of a Christian family, was remarkable in her youth for sweetness of temper and solidity of understanding seldom found in the capriciousness of juvenile years. Being apprehended as a Christian, the magistrate attempted by the mildest means to bring her over to paganism. But she ridiculed the pagan deities with such asperity that the judge, incensed at her behavior, ordered her to be tortured. Her sides were accordingly torn by hooks 
and her breasts burned in the most shocking manner until she expired by the violence of the flames. December 303. In the year 304, when the persecution reached Spain, Dacian, the governor of Tarragona, ordered Valerius, the bishop, and Vincent, the deacon, to be seized, loaded with irons, and imprisoned. The prisoners being firm in the resolution, in the resolution, Valerius was banished and Vincent was racked, his limbs dislocated, his flesh torn with hooks, and he was laid on a gridiron, which had not only had a, which not only, sorry, which had not only a fire placed under it, but spikes at the top, which ran into his flesh. These torments neither destroying him nor changing his resolutions, he was remanded to prison and confined in a small, loathsome, dark dungeon, strewed with sharp flints and pieces of broken glass, where he died on January the 22nd of 304. His body was thrown into the river. The persecution of Diocletian began particularly to rage in 304, when many Christians were put to cruel tortures and the most painful and ignominious deaths, the most eminent in particular of whom we shall enumerate, he says. Saturninus, a priest of Albatina, a town of Africa, after being tortured, was remanded to prison and there starved to death. His four children, after being variously tormented, shared the same fate with their father. Dativus, a noble Roman senator, Thalico, a pious Christian, Victoria, a young lady of considerable family and fortune, with some others of less consideration, all auditors of Saturninus, were tortured in a similar manner and perished by the same means. Agrappi, Caionia, and Irene, three sisters, were seized upon at Thessalonica when Diocletian's persecution reached Greece. They were burnt and received the crown of martyrdom in the flames of March the 25th, or March the 25th of 304. The governor, finding that he could make no impression on Irene, ordered her to be exposed naked in the streets, which shameful order having been executed, a fire was kindled near the city wall, amidst whose flames her spirit ascended beyond the reach of man's cruelty. Agatho, a man of a pious turn of mind, with Cassius, with Cassius, with Cassius Philippa, and Eutychia, were martyred about the same time, but the particulars have not been transmitted to us. Marcellinus, bishop of Rome, who succeeded Caius in that see, having strongly opposed paying divine honors to Diocletian, suffered martyrdom by a variety of tortures in the year 324, comforting his soul until he expired with the prospect of these glorious rewards it would receive by the tortures suffered in the body. Victorious, Copperphorus, Severus, Severianus were brothers and all four employed in places of great trust and honor in the city of Rome. Having exclaimed against the worship of idols, they were apprehended and scourged. With the plumbitae or scourges to the ends of which were fastened leaden balls. These, this punishment was exercised with such excess of cruelty that the pious brothers fell martyrs to its severity. Timothy, Timothy, a deacon of Mauritania, 
and Mora, his wife, had not been united together by the bands of wedlock above three weeks when they were separated from each other by the persecution. Timothy, being apprehended as a Christian, was carried before Arianus, the governor of, Theb of, of Thebais, and I'm not, I might not be pronouncing that right. I can't pronounce. Some of these are very difficult, but if you know, well, you can correct me later. Who, knowing that he had, he had the keeping of the Holy Scriptures, commanded him to deliver them up to be burnt, to which he answered, Had I children, I would sooner deliver them up to be sacrificed than part with the word of God. Amen. The governor, being much incensed at this reply, ordered his eyes to be put out with red-hot irons, saying, quote, The book shall, shall at least be useless to you, for you shall not see to read them. His patience under the operation was so great that the governor grew more exasperated. He therefore, in order, if possible, to overcome his fortitude, ordered him to be hung up by the feet with a weight tied about his neck and a gag in his mouth. In this state, Mora, his wife, tenderly urged him for her sake to recant. But when the gag was taken out of his mouth, instead of consenting to his wife, wife's entreaties, he greatly blamed her mistaken love and declared his resolution of dying for the faith. What does that remind you of? Exactly. Can you take me there, Norman? I can take you there. Job 2 and verse 9. It's exactly what I was thinking of. Job 2 and verse 9. Thence, are we all there? Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die! Recant! You know what he said? But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. He greatly blamed her, mistaken love, and declared his resolution of dying for the faith. The consequence was that Mora resolved to imitate his courage and fidelity and either to accompany or follow him to glory. The governor, after trying in vain to alter her resolution, ordered her to be tortured, which was executed with great severity. After this, Timothy and Mora were crucified near each other. Sabinus, bishop of Assisium, refusing to sacrifice to Jupiter and pushing the idol from him, had his hand cut off by the order of the governor of Tuscany. While in prison, he converted the governor and his family, all of whom suffered martyrdom for the faith. Soon after their execution, Sabinus himself was scourged to death in December of 304. Tired with the farce of state and public business, the Emperor Diocletian resigned the imperial diadem and was succeeded by Constant Constantinus and Galerius, the former prince of the most mild and humane disposition and the latter equally remarkable for his cruelty and tyranny. These divided the empire into two equal governments, Galerius ruling the east and Constantinus in the west. 
and the people of the two governments felt the effects of the dispositions of the two emperors. For those in the West were governed in the mildest manner, but such as resided in the East felt all the miseries of oppression and lengthened tortures. Among many martyred by the, by the order of Galerius, we shall enumerate the most eminent. Amphianus was a gentleman of eminence in Lucia and a scholar of Eusebius. Julita, a, Lyco, a, Lyco, a Lyconian of royal descent, but more celebrated for her virtue, virtues than noble blood. While on the rack, her child was killed before her face. Julita of Cappadocia was a lady of distinguished capacity, great virtue, and uncommon, uncommon courage. To complete the execution, Julita had boiling pitch poured on her feet, her sides torn with hooks, and received the conclusion of her martyrdom by being beheaded on April the 16th of 305. Hermolaus, again I might be pronouncing these wrong, a venerable and pious Christian of great age and an intimate acquaintance of Pantaleon's, suffered martyrdom for the faith on the same day and in the same manner as Pantaleon. Now, Eustradius, secretary to the governor of Armina, Armina rather, was thrown into a fiery furnace for exhorting some Christians who had been apprehended to persevere in their faith. Nicanda and Marcion, two eminent Roman military officers, were apprehended on account of their faith. As they were both men of great abilities in their profession, the utmost means were used to induce them to renounce Christianity. But these endeavors being found ineffectual, they were beheaded. In the kingdom of Naples, several martyrdoms took place. In particular, January's Bishop of Beneventum, Sosius, deacon of Mycenae, Proculus, another deacon, Eutychus, and Acutius, two laymen, Festus, a deacon, and Desiderius, a reader, all on account of being Christians, were condemned by the governor of Campania to be devoured by the wild beasts. The savage animals, however, would not touch them, and so they were beheaded. Now, Quirinus, bishop of Sicia, being carried before Matinius, or Matinius, the governor was ordered to sacrifice the pagan deities, agreeably to the edicts of various Roman emperors. The governor, perceiving his constancy, sent him to jail and ordered him to be heavily ironed, flattering himself that the hardships of a jail, some occasional tortures and weights, and the weight of chains might overcome his resolution. Being decided in his principles, he was sent to Amantius, Amantius rather, the principal governor of Pannonia, now Hungary, who loaded him with chains and carried him through the principal towns of Danube, the Danube, exposing him to ridicule where, wherever he went. Arriving at length in Siberia the, and finding that Quirinus would not renounce his faith, he ordered him to be cast into a river with a stone fastened about his neck. This sentence being put into execution, Quirinus floated about for some time and exhorting the people in the most pious terms, concluded his admonitions with this prayer, quote, 
It is no new thing, O powerful Jesus, for thee to stop the course of rivers or to cause a man to walk upon the water as thou didst thy servant Peter. The people have already seen the proof of thy power in me. Grant me now to lay down my life for thy sake, O my God. Wow. On pronouncing the last words, he immediately sank and died on June the 4th of 308. You know, there's that dying grace. His body was afterwards taken up and buried by some pious Christians. Pamphilus, a native of Phoenicia, of a considerable family, was a man of such extensive learning that he was called a second origin. He was received into the body of the clergy at Caesarea, where he established the public library and spent his time in the practice of every Christian virtue. He copied the greatest part of the works of origin with his own hand, and assisted by Eusebius, gave a correct copy of the Old Testament, which had suffered greatly by the ignorance or negligence of former transcribers. In the year 307, he was apprehended and suffered torture and martyrdom. Marcellus, Bishop of Rome, being banished on account of his faith, fell a martyr to the miseries he suffered in exile on January the 16th, 310. Peter, the 16th Bishop of Alexandria, was martyred November the 25th of 311 by order of Maximus Caesar, who reigned in the East. Agnes, a virgin of only 13 years of age, was beheaded for being a Christian, as was Serene, the empress of Diocletian. Valentine, a priest, suffered the same fate at Rome, and Erasmus, a bishop, was martyred in Campania. So those were a number of martyrs from the Fox's Book of Martyrs. Now, the effects of the persecution, the effects. The overall effect of eight years of savage persecution was the suppression of Christianity, but also there were further changes in Christianity that also resulted. And these were, these are negative, by the way, the worship of martyrs. Yeah. To die for Christ was considered a high Christian virtue. Martyrs were first respected, then eventually considered to be intermediaries. You listen to this. Those who survived martyrdom were called confessors. An undue, and undue attention was placed upon their intercessory power. Intercessory power. Let's go to the Bible. Romans 8, verse 26. Now, Brother Andrew may die a martyr's death, but I can guarantee you I will not be praying to you. Amen. And I won't be placing any undue power or attention upon your intercessory power, which you don't have any of that. Amen. <laughs> so, and look, it goes for you as well. <laughs> yeah, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit here. Romans 8 and verse 34, a few verses later. Who is he that condemneth? 
It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh what? Intercession for us. Hebrews 7, starting in verse 22. Hebrews 7 and verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. And they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make what? Intercession for them. Intercession. So the changes that we began to see in the 4th century were the worship of martyrs and the worship of relics. I think for those of you that have come out of a Roman Catholic background will know that. It can relate to the worship of relics. On a lesser scale, the veneration of the remains of martyrs began to occur. The pra but the practice was developed in later times. It began to occur. I mean, you have some. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church has some morbid practices. They'll preserve the like the body and the skull, and mm -hmm. and you can go yeah, and the heart, and you can go you know, and you do the whole thing in front of it, and somehow that's yeah, you have the toenails exactly. I know, but it's just. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that now, brother. I know it's true. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Some of the things. Yep. So, next week, we'll be looking at the Emperor Constantine. I know it's a bit dry sometimes, but this is, there's interesting stuff in this. So I can't be dynamic every time when I'm preaching, especially with this. Baptist history just can't be like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'll be looking at Emperor Constantine in more detail next week. Those are the persecutions. Heavenly Father, we give thee thanks, Lord. Uh, and we're really thankful, Lord, for living in the country, although I see it being, I believe, thy, thy protective hands being removed, certainly thy blessings being removed from this nation, Lord. We are thankful, Lord, that we can still gather here in safety, preach the Word of God, worship Thee, Lord Jesus. And we are thankful for the freedoms that we do have, Lord. And we, we do understand that they are, they are, we are, we are, they are being lost, Lord. And, and I do foresee a time where we may go through some trials, Lord, in this nation. We have lived in relative comfort, Lord. But nevertheless, Lord, it's all in thine hands, and we trust in thee. In Jesus' precious, holy, and wonderful, and blessed name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.